Hi everyone, welcome to this podcast show on the topic AI in healthcare. I'm your host Deepak and with me we have Ms. Puniti Gariali. Puniti has been working a lot in the applications of AI in biomedical use cases. Uh, she had blended the power of AI with her biochemistry subject matter expertise and she is currently working with AI Talos as a medical advisor. So today we are going to hear a lot of her experiences and advancements happening in the biomedical field. Welcome to this uh, podcast show, uh, Puniti. Uh, thank you, Deepak, for having me here. So I have a couple of questions to you today and uh, starting with, uh, so let's uh, start with the tracking and early detection mechanism using AI technologies in the healthcare domain. So what are the current solutions available and what is the maturity of it? So um, talking about AI in healthcare, um, what in the past years, there has been a lot of progress when it comes to um, diagnosis and detection of using AI in healthcare. So um, let me give you a brief example so it's easier to understand. Um, so I'll take the work that we do at AI Talos. So um, what we are trying to do is, do is to use artificial intelligence to power the existing diagnostic modalities. So essentially at AI Talos, what we are doing is using thermographic images, which is um, heat images of the tissue. Now, is that new? No. The first thermography was, I think, in 1950s. That was the first time thermography was used. But what we are doing today is powering thermography with AI, which increases the accuracy and precision of the uh, diagnostic modality. So um, the first topic that you mentioned, which was uh, keeping well in early detection, um, there are certain aspects of it. The first is um, what we can call pre-screening, that you know that you are at a high risk for that particular disease. So you want to make sure that um, you're screened well for the disease. The second is monitoring, monitoring of your risk. And the last part is early detection. So um, right now, the biggest challenge which the healthcare industry, which healthcare is facing, is an ever-increasing burden on our healthcare system. Um, if we have learned anything in the last two years from the pandemic, we have realized that how easily our healthcare system can become overwhelmed. So how can we solve? And this is going to this is going to increase. It's not going to go down anyway. The only way we can help our healthcare system is um, using technology, using artificial intelligence to support our healthcare system in a way that it doesn't become um, overwhelmed. So a simple example is if we are able to have more pre-screening modalities using artificial intelligence, for example, in thermography, that means we will detect the cases really early on. If I'm talking about breast cancer, we detect breast cancer at a stage where we don't need a confirmation with a surgical biopsy where once it's detected, the treatment is quick, the hospital beds are not occupied for a long time, there is no elaborate surgery, chemotherapy, radiotherapy. So this overall, it improves the patient outcomes, 
But at the same time, it also is reducing the burden on our healthcare system. So there is a lot which is happening right now across the globe, uh, be it in cardiology, um, eye, um, cancer. We have we have lot of people who are working to uh, either create something new or power the existing um, modalities, the, the, the diagnostic modalities with AI to help the patients and also the healthcare system. Okay, okay, got it. So over to the next point. So uh, on diagnosis and decision making, so how good the AI can aid in these two steps, basically? Um, for diagnosis, um, I would say um, if, uh, if a modality, uh, for example, had an accuracy of 70%, we are right now at a place where we can, with the help of AI, we can take that accuracy from 70% to 95%. So um, the key here is that if we are using, say for example, we are using a deep learning algorithm to, uh, to power a um, um, any a radiology or a pathology, anything which which is a digital imaging. The key here is that with a deep learning algorithm, it's continuously learning. So every patient that it is diagnosing, that's a new data entry for the for the algorithm. So we I can only say that with time, the accuracy and precision of the model is going to increase further. I hope that makes sense or you're able to understand where I'm going. Correct, correct, yeah. So it's um, it's a lot. Um, for example, if we are looking at eye in diabetes, like diabetes is known to affect the eye uh, to the extent that the images which are formed in the retina of the eye, um, we uh, so the retina is, is the key in the eye where the images are formed and we can actually see. So diabetes affects that, which is called the diabetic retinopathy. Now, if we have screening modalities in place, proper screening modalities in place, and I'm just talking about the United States, if everybody who needs a diabetic retinopathy screening done, I'm just looking at um, almost 30 million retinal images in one year that need to be screened. So, there the picture comes in that if we train the AI to do it, they will do it with precision, with accuracy, and that's uniform. There's no subjective bias there. So I think that is a very important aspect that we have to understand is that the use of AI is going to make the life of patients better and also the life of physicians much easier understood so ai will be kind of uh, enabling so let's say we have like a lot of records and uh, physicians don't want to actually manually go through everything but ai can actually give us a first step and then as a validation step maybe uh, the physicians can actually by themselves look and uh, confirm it exactly that is precisely the point which i was making and you got it absolutely correct that um, it's 
It's physician and AI walking hand in hand. And of course, there are there are there are parameters where you know subjective error can happen. Like after a long day, at the end of the day, if um, if a radiologist is looking at a CT scan, he might some miss something which is really small and tiny. And because human eyes can get tired, but AI won't get tired as easily as a human. So we have the reproducibility of the AI that every time it's the precision is going to be 95, the accuracy is going to be 97, and that is how it is developed. And it's, it's every scan will get the same rate. Okay, okay, got it. And uh, my next point, so uh, could you talk a bit about how uh, robotics is uh, aiding in the treatment and end of the life care systems? Sure. So, um, Robotics has been there for much longer than, um, I mean, be it in a lab setting where they're helping in, in doing um, diagnosis um, in, in, a, in a lab, in a pathology or in a microbiology lab. We also have robotics uh, to aid and assist a human surgeon. And there are, uh, we are at a stage where we have some robots who can actually um, perform simple tasks without a human being there to assist. But mostly what I'm talking about is um, robotics are more of an assistant. But it is, uh, well, time will tell where we actually reach a stage with robotics where they will be able to perform elaborate surgical procedures or not. But uh, when it comes to end of life care, Robotics play a big role there because essentially at that stage, robotics can help the patient be independent because, because you're at a stage where you don't want to be dependent on anyone. You don't want to stay in a hospital just because you can't take care of yourself. So we can remove the hospitalization, the stay in the nursing home or care homes with the use of robotics. Now, in addition to that, there is also a role of robotics and very recently as, you know, helping the nurses at the nursing station, say the linen cabinet is empty and that needs to be filled. That is a job that has to be done. And we are reaching a stage where we have robots who can actually do it. Like taking the sample from the nurse's station, say, for example, to the microbiology lab, we have robotics who are doing it very efficiently. So I think in the near future, we will be in a position to see a lot of AI, a lot of technology in the healthcare, be it hospitals, be it outside of hospitals and labs. And we need to accept it and harness the power of AI to actually, to the full extent, to use it. Otherwise, we'll reach a stage in healthcare where it will be difficult to to uh, accommodate each and every patient's need. Okay, okay. So, so my next, uh, so my next question is on the medical diagnosis, and uh, like I could find like a lot of uh, AI methodologies are being used in the medical diagnosis currently. So, like uh, in in my past question, like we spoke about like how good and how relying we can actually we can rely on the AI mechanism. So uh, what are the top technologies which is available currently in the medical diagnosis? 
So um, when you when you talk about technology, there is a lot of a lot of um, algorithms which are being worked on by researchers. There are a lot of them are based on CNN. Um, deep learning is preferred because then you can train the algorithm. You know, it trains itself with each image that goes in. Um, there is there are limitations because uh, we still are because it's a regulated. When it comes to medical diagnostic devices, the market is regulated and it has to be because we need to make sure that everything is in place. The, the thing is that with the regulations, um, they're still developing. Like if I'm talking about the FDA guidelines for AI, they're still in the process of, uh, they're still proposals, they're not implemented. Which means that the the key which I mentioned before is that the algorithm algorithm learns with each data point. Um, at this, we are at a stage where we can't actually incorporate it in the device when it is out in the market. We probably can um, relaunch another version of it. So, for example, if, you're, if I'm talking about X um, diagnostic device, we launched in the market, we got a lot of real world data back and we can't just improve it and market it again as the as X. The, the regulations are not there yet. They are only proposals. But in the near future, um, I can see that the change is coming up, which means that when you are... Uh, going to have a medical device which is AI powered, a lot of real world data learning will happen when it comes to the algorithm, which can improve, which will improve the accuracy and the precision of the of the AI powered device. Okay, okay. So, so my next point is on like uh, so just like other industries there will be ethical dilemma with using the ai and in case of uh, medical diagnosis or clinical domain i think it will be huge in terms yes. of whether the whether we can give a full control or how much control we have to give to an ai to kind of uh, give a decision based on the data which is being there so what is the responsibility of uh, of AI and how how much it is kind of uh, worked through with different stakeholders like physician, patient data, and the patient privacy, and how well the hospitals are kind of uh, kinding like making the trade off between how much we need to use an AI and how much we need to rely on. That's a that's a really good point, Deepak, that you brought forward, and um, it's true that there 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 are going to be ethical dilemmas associated with AI, and um, it's it's there with use of AI in any any world, these automobiles or, but in medicine, it's particularly critical because we are dealing with life and death of a patient. So, um, um, as I mentioned earlier. What I see AI to be is a support system for the for the physician. Um, we are clearly not at a stage where we can give full autonomy to the AI to function independent of a human. But if it comes, uh, and that's completely my point of view, is that the responsibility for the patient still lies with the physician. Because uh, we are clearly not at a stage where 
we can hold the AI responsible. There's definitely, when more and more AI-powered products will come into the market, the, the question of product liability will definitely come into picture. Like if AI fails to diagnose, is it the responsibility of the physician or is it the responsibility of the manufacturer? And when the regulatory authorities sit to decide these issues, we have to address them. It's not something which can, which can be ignored because it's critical. Like you mentioned, uh, patient privacy, patient data. So regulations have to be in place to ensure that patient privacy is maintained, that patient data is not free for all. It's right now, we take, we take precautions to make sure that the patient data is always safe and that needs to be even with AI. Uh, there is a lot, there is, this is one aspect of it, which is the, the ethical issues. The other part of um, which I think might also be an issue is the bias that comes with AI. And we're noticing this a lot. There are a lot, there's a lot of discussion going on that because there is a bias in humans, that bias is being carried forward to the AI. So this is very important in medicine because we have seen that a drug uh, or a treatment might be um, beneficial in one group of people, while it, it might not be in another group of people. So we have to ensure, and this is a very important aspect, which I think the, even the FDA has talked about, is to make sure that the AI is not biased, that the data that is going in the AI to train it is diversified, is diversified enough that it actually represents the real world scenario and this is essentially um, what is happening with our uh, with our clinical trials as well i see that that, that that's your next point and i'll discuss it at that point uh, but uh, ai is not there to replace the physician it's not going to be in my opinion, a world where you have you will have to be like, you can either go to an AI to get treated or you can go to a physician. I don't think it, it's that. It's AI and the physician. Um, the physician, the AI will enable, will free up the time. So just, I, I'll give you an example if that helps. We are, we're talking about pathologists or we're talking about a radiologist who spend most of their time looking at images, digital images of cells or digital images of your brain. And all day long, what they do is just look at the images and okay, this is normal, this is not normal, this is normal, this is, that is their whole day. They don't have much say in the clinical outcome or they don't have much patient interaction. So what AI is gonna do is AI is going to do the initial screening for the radiologist. And if anything abnormal is detected, the radiologist comes into picture, clinically correlates it to the patient's symptoms, has more time to actually talk to the physician, talk to the patient, talk to their a person who has referred them for the CT scan. So these are, these are, these are different factors which, uh, which need to be considered when we are, when the regulatory agencies are defining the guidelines for the use of AI in healthcare. Uh, 
And in my opinion, the sooner you start, the better you are. We can't wait for AI to be fully developed and then we'll think of regulations. No. Think ahead. Be prepared for what is coming next. I hope that answered your question. Yep, yep. Indeed. indeed. Yeah. So, uh, so my next point is on the drug development and clinical trial. So, uh, what are the main benefits of using AI in these two mechanisms? Um, that is a very, very good topic that you have brought forward. And um, the biggest benefit is, is time. Because um, um, if, um, I don't know if you are aware of the Moore's law, which, is, uh, which talks about um, the number of transistors and then how the, the number of transistors increase, but the cost goes down every two years or so. So um, in, the, in the biopharma, in the pharmaceutical industry, we have the opposite of the Moore's law. It's the Irun's law. It's exactly spelled opposite of Moore's. So it's M-O-O-R-E, but in pharma, we have E-R-O-O-M. And how and why is it that? Is that since 1950s till today, the cost of creating a drug has doubled every nine years. So if I'm looking at drug development right now, on an average, it takes um, 12 to 13 years and almost $2.3 billion, billion United States dollars, to get one drug out from, from the in initial exploration to preclinical, to clinical trials, and finally to the patient, which is long and expensive. And if, um, if we don't change the way we are doing drug development in clinical trials, the projection is that maybe by the next 20 years, the 2.3 billion is going to be 16 billion for one drug, which is essentially gonna collapse the healthcare industry if things are not changed. So the biggest impact which AI uh, can have on drug development and clinical trials is time and money. So, uh, in, so I'm, I'm talking from a patient's perspective now. Now, if the overall time right now we can reduce is just one year out of those 12 years, it might not look a big number that, okay, it was 12 years earlier, now it's 11, it's not a big deal. But if you're looking at one patient, for example, somebody was diagnosed with cancer, that one year for them is life and death. Because they get it, they, there is a chance that they can actually get the medicine because we reduced the time. But that was just to, you know, just to give you an example, the, the goal is, the hope is that with the use of technology, with the use of AI, we will be able to significantly reduce the amount of time and money it takes to, to get the drugs from research to the patient. So um, there is a lot going on, um, the, in, especially with clinical trials. Um, there is a lot of use of AI already in, in progress. There's, um, so the biopharmaceutical companies, they are able to um, access a lot of scientific and research data from sources other than the clinical trials, and they call it the real world data. So with machine learning algorithms, um, 
and analytics, which are again uh, powered by AI. You're if, uh, so the pharma companies are able to unlock these real-world data sources to get the data, and these help them understand the disease better, identify the patient population better, and much faster. Which means we have a patient recruitment, which is diverse, which is more appropriate, which will yield the better results. And at the same time, the amount of data, so we're looking at data from thousands of people. When you're talking about a phase three clinical study, there are thousands of people enrolled in that. So the amount of, you can imagine the amount of data that is coming in. So with the use of AI, with the use of analytics, the data collection, the data management, the data analysis will become much, much easier. So I think it's overall, it's, it's going to impact not just how uh, clinical trials are designed, it's gonna affect also the way patients are enrolled, uh, the way the clinical trials are, are conducted, are operated, how the data is collected. And like I mentioned before, diversification is very important in clinical trials because um, one drug might be effective in one group, might not be as effective in the other. And um, the, the silver lining of this pandemic has been that a lot of focus has gone towards decentralization of clinical trials, which means basically that um, the patient need not come to the trial site, which is usually a big hospital in a big city. Uh, but the, So the number of visits the patient will make to that uh, clinical trial site will be very few, just minimal. And everything else, which is the patient monitoring, selection, uh, after receiving the treatment, they have to do follow-up, that all can be done either digitally or at their local site. So the, so the decentralization of the clinical trials, we need to essentially digitalize the clinical trials. So at that point, we have AI, um, for example, wearable sensors. If we are dealing with a drug that helps patients who have heart disease, you can have a wearable sensor, which is connected to an app in your mobile phone which means the patient is getting monitored, their ECG is getting monitored while they are doing their work or while they are at home. And in real time, the data through their mobile app is being sent to the physician for follow-up, for monitoring, uh, for everything that otherwise would have required a hospital visit. So like I mentioned earlier, we have to harness the, the full power of AI. That is the only way we can solve the complex problems which exist in the healthcare system right now. I hope that that information gave you a, a good insight. And if you want me to like explain a little more, I'll be happy to do that. Yeah, I, I, I got a good clarity on that particular part, actually. That's, that's true. Like, uh, I, I think like on the entire workflow, we can actually embed in a lot of spaces this AI in specific, actually. So I, I believe like that can increase the amount of time, as you've mentioned, like which is the biggest factor yeah. and all yeah. the other aspects as well. Yeah. And uh, over to my last question for today. And uh, beyond patient care, 
what are the sectors which we can actually bring up AI in this entire process. So I suppose like nowadays AI is uh, along with the applications of AI, AI, AI is actually a branding or, or a way of branding also like in terms of uh, getting investment funding in across all the businesses and everything. So beyond patient care, like where exactly are these uh, technologies being plugged in at this point in healthcare system? So um, uh, in healthcare, essentially, um, it will always revolve around patient because that's the ultimate goal. Uh, but I see uh, the use of AI a lot in administrative functions in healthcare. Say, for example, electronic um, data capture. There's a big role there. So um, I don't know how your experience has been, but <clears throat> have you ever been to a doctor and, you know, you're trying to explain to the doctor that um, um, what, I'm, what is happening to me, I'm not feeling well. So you, you are, you're in the doctor's clinic, you're trying to explain your agony, your pain, and all you can see is the doctor busy typing something on the computer. It's, it's very normal because they need to maintain the records. And there is no other way, but so initially they used to write it on a paper and then somebody would either type it in a computer or they themselves would type it in a computer. So that entire process We've, uh, over years and decades, we've tried to streamline it to make it easier for the physician to talk face to face with the patient. Because that is the, that was the whole idea. The humanness of being a physician is, is gone. So how comfortable you would be having a conversation without looking at the face of the person? Not really. Not much. The, the report never comes into picture. So that is precisely the area which everyone, all physicians feel that it's work which needs to improve. So there's something called clinical decision support system where um, there are a lot of, there's, there's been a lot of work which has happened in this area. Nothing has worked much. But I see now that um, with with the text recognition, the AI, that can actually um, help the physicians a lot. Now, Siri, Alexa, and I don't know, Cortana, we have a lot who can understand we have, our, we have on our phones. To create a system where um, we have a text recognition AI specifically for patients and doctors. So doctor can actually have a conversation the patient can talk talk their heart out. Okay, you know, this is what my issue is. This is the pain that I'm feeling. And the doctor won't worry about making notes or typing it in a computer. So that is one. So these are, um, I would say, more of administrative uh, uh, roles, which the AI can help. But it's going to be a big help there. So the... Uh, like we can even talk about that this um, the uh, the AI the text which is actually written by the AI can be sent to the patient to review is like after the visit is this precisely what you meant yes this is exactly what I meant so errors don't come into the picture so the the electronic health records is one big aspect of administrative work which takes up a lot of time for physicians where AI can be used. The other thing that I that I see is um, is helping the nurses. 
I don't see in even in near future, far future, where we'll ever be able to humanize the AI so much that they can replace our nurses. The nurses run our healthcare industry, our healthcare, our hospitals are run by them. They're there for the patient, caring for them, monitoring for them, walking them through each and every step. So I don't see that we reach a point where uh, we can actually add um, so many emotions to the AI that it will be able to replace a nurse. But we can create systems which can help them. There's a lot of paperwork, there's a lot of administrative work which our nurses do. And they are burdened, like burdened, overburdened is an understatement for the amount of work our nurses do. So a lot of work has been done uh, where robots have come into picture who assist the nurses. And they've, they've tried to make them, you know, have uh, have the emoticons, the emojis on their monitor where they're, you know, smiling. They can greet the patients. They can guide the patients. Okay, you know, this is where you need to go and they'll take them there. So all of this otherwise comes on the nursing staff. So these are a couple of areas where we can we can help. Um, and I can only say that I have big hopes from AI because I think that the best of AI in healthcare is yet to come. And I think all of us in the healthcare industry, the physicians, the payers, the researchers, we all need to embrace the AI, be aware of the ethical challenges, be aware of the challenges that come with the AI, create guidelines around it, but not fear it, use it. So uh, I'm more of a solution instead of being pessimistic about what could go wrong with AI or being optimistic about um, all the opportunities that are ahead of us. Let's have a solution-oriented solution mindset, which means that this is the issue which might come up, this is the solution for it. This is another issue which might come up, this is the solution, but let's move ahead. Let's let's take AI much more ahead where it is right now. Otherwise, our healthcare system is is bound to fail. Okay, okay. So that covers all my questions for today. And uh, thank you so much, Punidhi, for joining today's session and giving us such a great depth understanding about all these points. So I'm I'm really hoping as like how you do on like how improving the healthcare systems with the power of AI and uh, like with all these new technologies, uh, we will be able to kind of grasp. So uh, like I was under the impression, actually, like AI is actually more on the patient care system. But as you mentioned, it can be harnessed in all the other administrative and other beyond patient care mechanisms using other technologies like NLP and uh, other text processing techniques. So that's that's great to know. And uh, once again, thanking you for uh, all the efforts you are actually putting in this particular space. And I uh, wish you good luck for this. Thank you so much for having me. It was it was lovely talking to you. And I I always say the the best ideas can come from from the person who's not even in the field. So I encourage all the engineers, all the people who are not in healthcare, to think about how the technology can you know give it a thought. And next time you have an opportunity to talk to somebody who is in healthcare, uh, shoot out an idea. It you never know. 
you know the you don't you don't need to have a lot of experience to to bring up brilliant ideas so thank you so much for giving this platform to to talk about the role of ai in healthcare thank you thank you so much for you're welcome